Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, join us at Walters for the first ever Nats Chat podcast party. We'll hang out, watch playoff baseball, chat about the Nats, and get to know fellow fans of the team. The event begins at 7 p.m. at Walters, just across from Nationals Park, on Friday night, October 14th. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the pitch. Swing a high drive right field deep. This is trouble. It's back over Thomas's head and one up off the wall. It'll clear the bases. Thomas throwing towards second. Stott is in there standing with a double as Segura and Veerling cross the plate, making it 3 0 Phillies. Corbin in the belt. The runners go. Swinging a ground ball. Base hit into left center field. This will score a couple. Bohm has scored. Segura has scored. Rounding third. Breaking for the plate is Stott. And he will score on a three-run single for Kyle Schwarber. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, October 3rd, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Somehow, someway, <laughs> the Nationals and the Philadelphia Phillies did it. The two teams played four games over three days at Nationals Park, despite terrible weather conditions in the Washington, D.C. area these last few days. Although you certainly could argue that this last game of the series should not have been played given the conditions. More on that momentarily. But the series has been completed. The Nats on Sunday afternoon concluded a 3-16 and season against the Phillies with an 8-1 rain-shortened six-inning loss. The Nats have set a new single-season record for most losses by the team since it came to Washington, D.C., In the 2004-2005 offseason, that's now a major league worst, 55 and 104. Patrick Corbin had a fitting final start to his 2022 season. The game on Sunday afternoon, Mark, a lot like the weather over the weekend and a lot like the overall Nats season. Not exactly a thing of beauty. No, and I think the only good thing you can say about this is that they completed it, got the game in, and the fact they played four games in three days here really is pretty remarkable given what we were talking about going into Friday. So I give him credit for that. This one, this is not a game that under any other circumstances would have been played in those conditions. If this happens anytime earlier in the season, they absolutely call it off and find a way to make it up later on. In this case, they felt like they had no choice, so they had to try to play it. And it was sort of like once they got it started, they're thinking, we've got to at least make this thing official. They can't call it off. So they played through it, and those last few innings were really not good at all. Conditions not good. It it was starting to get a little bit dangerous, and 
I get why they went as far as they did, but it certainly had reached a point where you had to question whether they should be out there at all. And, you know, they called it off when they did. I don't think it impacted the outcome. I don't think if you're the Milwaukee Brewers, you can be that upset by it. The Phillies were going to win this game, whether it was five innings, six innings, or nine innings. I think this whole integrity of the game thing is pretty funny. And I think it's very subjective. I think it's very arbitrary. I think people massage it and maneuver it to fit whatever they want it to fit. This game had no business being played given the weather conditions. But because of the circumstances, the game was played. And I understand why the game was played. But if you watch this game, this was not an environment fitting of a major league game. And like you just said, it was getting dangerous. And, you know, not to play a violin for these players, but God forbid someone, you know, tears an ACL or suffers some sort of serious injury out there. I mean, the condition of the warning track at Nationals Park was slop. Okay, this was the slop. Again, if you watch the game, the Phillies had a three-run fifth. Cesar Hernandez actually made a very nice defensive play in this inning. One out fly out by Matt Veerling. Cesar somehow navigated the slop that was that left field warning track, made an impressive backhanded catch before crashing in a left field wall. Good job by Cesar Hernandez. But what if he had gotten hurt on a play like that, okay? I mean, and I know it's Cesar Hernandez and he's going to be gone after this year, but that's not the point. I mean, he's a person. We wish him well. It's not like we want bad things to happen to him. You know, I just think it's funny. Like, we know why this is happening, right? The owners and the players want their money. And the MLBPA will talk to you about player safety and what's in the best interest of the players. But, you know, what happened on Sunday was not in the best interest of the players beyond their wallets. And it worked out, and I'm glad that it did. But I don't think this should just be glossed over. Like, that environment, the conditions of Nationals Park, those things were not good. No, you're 100% right. That was the, the Cesar Hernandez play was the one you're like, clenching up as you watch him track that down thinking, oh God, what is going to happen? Now, fortunately, I have it on good authority here that Cesar Hernandez is a mutter and his father was a mutter and his mother was a mutter. His mother was a mutter. Yeah, you heard what I said. So that was a remarkable play by him, not to slip and fall in the slop and to make that catch remarkable. Reese Hoskins had a lot of trouble on a ball at first base. I think that was the one that maybe finally convinced the umpires to pull him off the field. But I go back to, remember several years ago, a regular season game, long rain delay. They go ahead and start the game at like 10 o'clock. Bryce Harper is trying to beat out a grounder down the first baseline, slips on a wet first base. We thought he blew out his knee. Turned out he didn't. Somehow, miraculously, he didn't. But think about that. If you're you know, any player, of course, but even more so, you're a Philly about to try to clinch your first playoff berth in 11 years. If somebody had gotten hurt under those circumstances, you'd never hear the end of it. And the other thing that occurred to me at some point today watching this all, do you remember August 4th of this summer, Nationals at Phillies at Citizens Bank Park, the Phillies led 5-4 after five innings and it's coming down rain. They called the game. They called it official. It was 5-4. to four. The Nationals certainly could have come back and won that game down one run. Nobody complained about it at the time. Certainly the Brewers weren't going to have reason to complain about that. So the fact that they were willing to call a one-run game back in August but in theory, they were going to have to try to keep playing this one out just because it's at the end of the season. All games count the same in the standings in the end. So there is an arbitrary, subjective process to this. And unfortunately, human nature is to say that these games at the end matter more. We have to protect the integrity of those. No, there are games throughout the year that are called early that maybe were more competitive than this one was. I'll take you back to an instance of an Nats game in which a guy did get hurt and maybe the conditions of the field had something to do with it. September 2016, Wilson Ramos tears up his knee trying to catch a high throw from Ryan Zimmerman. 
But that was shortly after a rain delay in that game. That was a game between the Nationals and the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Ramos comes crashing down on the slop around home plate. Now, I don't know. Maybe the conditions had nothing to do with the injury. But boy, you do wonder. And he got hurt. And that was a Nationals playoff team, you know. So things can happen. And you're taking a chance when you play a game like this. And thank goodness it appears that nobody got hurt. Yeah. No, you're right. That was a big one. He may have landed on the plate and slipped on it. I'm trying to remember the exact details of it. It was the last week of the season and all of a sudden he was out for the playoffs and, and it cost them and really hurt him over the course of his career. That was his second ACL injury. So yeah, they do need to do a better job of making sure they are prioritizing everybody's safety. Now that said, when you get to this point and you're playing the game and you know these conditions, are you going to say, okay, we're not going to play today. Well, guess what? Everybody gets to come back here on Thursday. I don't think anybody wanted that to be the scenario. So there's no good answer to it. I thought it was notable, and I think I understood why this was the case. By the time the fifth inning is over, and it's 8 nothing, and you're like, well, this game's over, of course. They didn't just call it right then. They could have, but I think they couldn't let on that they just were trying to play five innings. They had to try to justify the fact that they had been playing and that, well, if it's safe enough to play the fifth inning, we should probably play the sixth. And thankfully, I guess, if you want to look at it this way, things got worse in the sixth inning, and that's when they said, okay, we can legitimately call this off. But I would say from about the third inning on, there really was no viable, legitimate reason to play that game other than the fact that it's October 2nd and their Phillies are in the race and they're trying to make sure they maintain some kind of quote unquote integrity. Yeah, I would say they fooled absolutely nobody in trying to convince people that they wanted to play nine innings today. And look, they didn't need to play nine innings today, okay? The difference between these two teams has been well established and you didn't need nine innings to arrive at the result that we ended up arriving at. You know, it's funny you mentioned Reese Hoskins at first base. I mean, how about the C.J. Abrams double in what was a one-run national six inning? Abrams hits this grounder down the first baseline that takes some weirdo bounce past Hoskins and ends up being a double. I mean, this was like a perverted version of baseball. This was not the true sport that we have come to know and love. This was bizarro world. This was like watching a house of mirrors in terms of the baseball that was on display. And the official scorer has to, you know, make a ruling on that play. He literally says, score that as a double because of the field conditions. It's a play that if the field is dry, you're giving Hoskins an error. But the official scorer is acknowledging the field conditions were so bad that that was no longer a routine play for Reese Hoskins. So, yeah, I mean, you're impacting all kinds of stuff when you do that. You had the Kyle Schwarber three-run single because the ball just kind of splashed down in shallow left center field and couldn't go anywhere. He wasn't going to take any chances running the bases, but everybody was already on the bases, kept racing around. So this was not a traditional baseball game being played out there. This was, let's just make sure we play this game as best as we can, but it really did not resemble the quality you would expect for a major league baseball game. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. That season is ending. The weather is getting colder, but Window Nation has a great way to help you stay warmer and more comfortable and with incredible savings. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. 
If you act now, you can get your new Window Nation windows installed before the holidays. Window Nation windows will keep you warmer, will reduce energy costs, and will add to the value of your home. Take advantage of this special offer. Two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. That's a deferred payment that impresses even the learners. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. That's windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Set, Corbin deals. Swing a ground ball up the middle and diving Abrams. It's off his glove to flex into left center. Stott will score. Stopping at second is Schwarber. Bryce Harper's second hit of the series is an RBI single. 65th run batted in. Makes it 4-0 Philadelphia. Well, the Nationals in this game, just the one run, a mere three hits, two doubles and a single. Although, again, one of them was that Abrams double. Yet a walk as well. Nats went 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position. I mean, there just really was not much to this game from a Nationals perspective. We did, though, have Patrick Corbin as an at starting pitcher. And I guess if you're into like appropriate endings to seasons, you got that from Corbin in this game. I mean, this certainly was his last start. I guess it's possible he pitches in relief like on Wednesday or something, but I don't know why the heck you would do that. But Corbin in this game was starting a game for the first time in 12 days. Remember, he in his uh, last start left after two thirds of an inning due to back spasms. And uh, Corbin got roughed up again this season. Seven runs in four and two thirds innings. He gave up 10 hits, three doubles, and seven singles. He issued three walks and a hit by pitch. He recorded three strikeouts. He, over his four and two-thirds innings, threw 101 pitches. I mean, how many outings like this one have we seen from Corbin over the last three years? Uh, I think we've all kind of lost count. And so you look at the final numbers for Corbin, or at least what we anticipate are the final numbers for his 2022 season. 31 starts, ERA a 631, a whip of 170, and a record, if you care about such a thing, of 6-19. and 19. I mean, for a second straight year, you're talking about him having had one of the single worst seasons a starting pitcher will ever have. And this season ends up being appreciably worse than last season, which was extremely bad. Like, you know, you always say, well, it can't get worse, can it? No, unfortunately for Patrick Corbin this season, things did get worse. And that's even with him. Remember, having pitched well in four or five starts prior to that last outing, the back spasms outing, And he did that, remember, last year, too. So even though he pitched better as the season went on, he still finished with this ERA of 631 and the whip of 170. 
Yeah, and here's the uh, dirty truth about this. So I looked this one up. 19 losses and an ERA over six. You know how many times that's happened in baseball history? This is only the 10th time in baseball history. And I'm talking about pre-1900 history included because five of the 10 to do it occurred in the 1890s. Three others occurred in the 1930s and 1940. Since 1940, before Patrick Corbin, there was only one other pitcher to finish with 19 losses and an ERA over six. That was Omar Dahl of the 2000 Diamondbacks and Phillies. He went 4-19 with a 6-1-4 ERA. Corbin goes 6-19 with a 6-3-1 ERA. There is no way to sugarcoat that. That is the full complement, a full season of starts. You can break it down and say, well, there were some good starts in there. Oh, he finished strong, whatever. The end result, the numbers make this truly one of the worst pitched seasons in modern baseball history. Now, we've talked about that there are other guys who may have been this bad or worse and just were not given the opportunity to keep pitching to pile up a loss total like that or an innings total like that. The Nationals felt they needed to keep putting him out there. But that said, Aside from a few starts where it seemed a little bit better, the total picture is still really bad. And I have no reason to think that they're going to go into next year and say that he's not a part of the rotation. The circumstances, the contract, the state of the rest of the rotation, I guess, dictates that. But I've got to believe that the leash is going to have to be a whole lot shorter next year. You can't just do the same thing over again and say that that's acceptable. At some point, you have to say, if it's not working, there needs to be a different solution to the problem. There need to be others who give you a better chance than Patrick Corbin. I'm okay with it for now, given what their other options are, given the contract. He's got two years left on the deal. If this is still going on April and May of next year, I don't see how you can continue. You've got to make some kind of change at that point. Well, I do think the wild card remains new ownership. And if you get new ownership and the ownership has that, uh, you know, bleep you money and doesn't care, you know, I wonder if you might see resolution on something like this Patrick Corbin contract. There will only be two seasons left on the contract at the conclusion of this season. This season, Corbin's age 32 season, the fourth season of the six year, $140 million deal that he signed as a free agent. In December 2018, the ban from Corbin, of course, started in the COVID-shortened 2020 season. I mean, just to illustrate what has happened here, 2020, he had an ERA of 466. 2021, he had an ERA of 582. And now this year, he is concluding it with this ERA of 631. I mean, that is a steep decline from the fours to the fives to the sixes. He's bad and he's getting worse. And, you know, to your point about so few guys this bad are afforded the opportunity to accumulate 19 losses. That's the thing. The Corbin conversation, of course, isn't just about him. It's about the lack of options beyond him. It's about the fact that the Nats have had no better choices, it seems, than to just have him keep going out there. And it's also about the fact that the Nats have been unable to fix him. And it's about the fact that he's getting worse and not better. Like, it's all of those things. It's not just as simple as, well, he's bad. Boo on him. It's also... What is going on with the organization? And it is something. I mean, you look at these last two games in this series, the Tommy Romero debacle on Saturday night and Patrick Corbin on Sunday afternoon registering his 19th loss this season with an ERA well over six. Like, if those two things aren't indictments of the state of the team in terms of pitching development, I don't know what are. It's pretty ugly to see that. And as much as we want to feel like things are getting better since the fire sales of the last two years, 
there clearly is still a ways to go. There still is a lot of work that needs to be done, and there are no guarantees that things are better. We hope that things are better, but nothing's a certainty in that regard. No, and that's where you know you look at the rosy picture potentially for 2023. It has to include Mackenzie Gore, Kate Cavalli, and Josiah Gray all being healthy enough to make all their starts or close to it, and being at least decent, if not good, to great in some of those cases. That's only three starters. Then you still have to figure out a rest of the rotation. But if any of those three do not pan out, where do you go to next? You know, we're still in the Corbin, Fetty, maybe Annabelle Sanchez, Corey Abbott, Tommy Romero range. That can't be where they are. Unless they're going to go spend money on a pitcher this winter. And if there's not a new owner, I don't see anything happening in that regard. And even if there is a new owner, who knows exactly what kind of approach they're going to take to that. You're really, really, really counting on those three young potential stalwarts to lead the way next year. We haven't even talked about Steven Strasburg. That's a whole different issue. And I think as we've mentioned, you know, you hope somehow it happens, but you can't count on anything there anymore. So they have put themselves now. I mean, now look, I mean, at the start of the year, you have Kate Cavalli hopefully coming and you have Josiah Gray in the rotation. They've added one more in Mackenzie Gore. There are a few others coming up through the pipeline, but they've got to, by the end of next year, really count on and hope that those three young pitchers are leading the way so that they're not forced to keep relying on guys in their 30s past their prime and in some cases among the worst pitchers in the league. And knowing what we know about young pitchers, that's a very big ask for all three guys next season to be good, you know, to be healthy, to deliver to you 25 plus starts. Like, I would love for that to all be the case. I mean, raise your hand if you're willing to bet real money on that being the case. You know, I do wonder if next year, if we might see Corbin in the bullpen, if the struggles continue. I mean, I think that that would be kind of the logical thing to do. If you're not going to DFA him, which I don't think they will, at least with this current ownership, at least maybe put him in the bullpen and try to get something out of him there. And then the other thing is, and I think you have to now apply this to every struggling Nats pitcher, the Austin Voth principle of, are there things with him that can be unlocked? Are there things with him that could be done differently to where he could be better? If he was with another team that does other things, would he still be this bad? You know, and I think that there is a long, hard look that the Nats have got to take at themselves and at their process to s- try to see if they're missing the boat on him, on an Eric Fetty, on some other guys in terms of why it is that with this team, pitchers don't develop. And in the cases of Corbin and Fetty, they get worse. They don't get better. Like, I think that's a part of the Corbin conversation, too why this is happening. And, you know, this thing that we have discussed of, is there something systemically wrong with the Nats to where they just go about it the wrong way now when it comes to developing and coaching up pitchers? And I think that's among the reasons that you don't see them just getting rid of guys in those situations, because they must believe or be worried that they could still be decent and they don't want to take the chance of dropping them all together and having them figure it out elsewhere. But as an organization, it's your job to get the most out of your players. And certainly from a pitching standpoint and rotation standpoint, I think we all acknowledge the Nationals have not gotten the most out of their guys. And it is troubling. I think there are real questions that have to be asked about how they proceed with this, both in a you know personnel standpoint of, of who's on their staff, the coaching staff, the front office, the analytics, all that, but just who they want to try to build around here. And 
making sure that they actually do make somebody better than they were. <laughs> because we've seen, I mean, I suppose they're relievers. You could say they've turned into be better than they were when they got here, like a Hunter Harvey, a Carl Edwards. Like they've done a nice job with some of them. But from a rotation standpoint, it has not happened at all. No, no, it hasn't. Well, next up for the Nats is the final series of their 2022 season, a uh, three-game set at the New York Mets, who, of course, are in quite the battle with the Atlanta Braves for the National League East Championship. Game one at the Mets Monday night, 7-10. Game two at the Mets Tuesday night at 7-10. Game three at the Mets Wednesday afternoon at 4-10. The Nats for this series have listed Corey Abbott, Paolo Espino, and Eric Fetty as the team starting pitchers. So safe to say that Josiah Gray's season is done? Yes. And Davey Martinez talked about that today, basically saying that he wanted to cut him off about 130 innings, which would be a few weeks ago. Josiah had done well enough, convinced them that he felt good to let him keep going. He got up to 148 in the end, was solid in his last outing. And they finally said, that's enough. We don't need to try to push this any farther. Good job. Go home this winter. And you know, the bright side to that is he set the bar a little bit higher in terms of his innings this year to the extent that maybe that means he could go a little further next year, 170, 180, which would be nice if he can do that and not have to worry about an innings limit again next year. You know, I didn't think we'd see him again after the way that last one went. They do have three available arms who can pitch on full rest and all that stuff. So they'll do that. You know, it'd be cool if the game does matter. The Mets who are still trying to win the division. If Josiah Gray was on the mound at City Field on the last day of the season in a must-win game for the Mets, something like that, it'd be cool to see him do that. But I think they feel like he has shown them everything he needs to and no reason to push this any farther. One more. Mike Rizzo traditionally at the end of a Nats season does kind of like a state of the union address with you guys, a state of the team session with you guys. We are through now the final home series of the season. We have this three-game series at the Mets. It's been hard to ignore that Mike, over the last few years, seemingly has not spoken to reporters as frequently as Mike had spoken to reporters in the good old days of the Nats. Now, he does do that weekly hit with the sports junkies, so it's not like he's a total recluse or anything. But, I mean, you basically, it feels like anyway, can count on like one hand the amount of times that Mike has talked to you guys in like an open Q&A session this season. So do you expect Mike to speak to you guys? And do you know when that that will happen? Yes, there is a plan for him to hold court with the beat writers in New York in the next couple of days before the season is over. So we have a long list of questions <laughs> to ask him. Um, we have not, I believe, had a opportunity like that since the trade deadline. That was the big press conference. Prior to that, I think there was a session maybe prior to the all-star break, somewhere in that range. So yeah, he has not been as available as he's been in the past for those kinds of things. I guess you can read between the lines why that may be the case, but there's a lot to ask him and hopefully we will get a lot of answers from him about how this season went and what their thinking is with regards to a lot of different topics heading into what could be a very important offseason, but also I think we have to acknowledge could be a very dull offseason if nothing happens on the ownership front. There may not be a lot for them to do, which would be unfortunate in a lot of ways, but that's not Rizzo's decision. He's got to work with whatever he's got, whatever he's allowed to do. So I will be very curious to see how that plays out and what, if anything, he conveys to us about the potential paths that he may take this winter, depending on what the ownership situation is. And has it been decided when the Mike Rizzo State of the Union will happen, or do we not know that yet? Don't know exact details, but it would be before a game, probably just on the field during batting practice, hopefully as soon as Monday. 
All right, we'll see. Looking forward to that. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at Nats Chat Podcast. You can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. Do not forget, we will all be getting together with smiles on our faces at the first ever Nats Chat Podcast party Friday night, October 14th at 7 at Walters right across the street from Nationals Park. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot to talk about with our baseball team as well. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. There's a four horse in the first race. Puffing it. I didn't know he was going to win. My UPS guy, Lance. The guys who own the horse are his regular customers. Every horse he's ever given me is one. Yeah? Yeah, see, they've been sandbagging, looking for a good spot. He's been getting in light because they're using a bug boy on him, and the workouts have been unpublished. Now they're ready to run with him. He's going to break his mane. He's going to go for a great price, maybe 30 to 1. I'm telling you, it's a lock. But it rained last night. Exactly. This horse loves the slump. It's his bloodlines. His father was a mother. His mother was a mother. His mother was a mother? What did I just say? Come on, let's go up to the office. I'm going to call my bookie. Hey, don't tell anybody. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.